What's up, Gen X? Welcome back. You know, this week is tax day, and like good citizens that I know you all are, I hope you have not only filed your taxes, but have made it clear to the federal government that they need to buy you dinner before they screw you. Otherwise, you know, you're going to start to get a bit of a reputation. So I hope you did that as you filed your taxes and got on with actually earning money for you and your family. But I digress. You know, speaking about money, our our favorite uh, billionaire Gen Xer, Mr. Elon Musk, took it up a notch this week, and he made a very formal offer to buy all of Twitter at $54.20 a share, which is at a, a bit of a premium, I believe. And apparently there's a a 420 marijuana joke in there somewhere which you know is also this week you know i that's one thing that i have to admit makes me feel much like an old man because if your kids are like mine they find this whole 420 vague references to weed very very funny i i i don't get it i i i, I it just escapes me i don't know but they find it hilarious and apparently there's speculation that Elon embedded that within his offer, but whatever. But the the offer was essentially to buy all the shares of Twitter and take it private so he can make the changes that he feels are necessary to not only improve the platform, but make it a viable business model. Now, as you can imagine, that sent Twitter reeling. There were was all kinds of crisis within the walls of Twitter itself and the and the board of directors met very hastily in an in, in emergency fashion to try to figure out how to respond. And their response up to this point has been to a reject the bid and b do so with a poison pill that would make it essentially uh, impossible for Elon to acquire the company. But the problem is, in doing so, they somewhat open themselves up to fiduciary negligence. So essentially, this the bid from Elon is much better for investors and shareholders than whatever their plans were to, you know, to reject the bid and uh, propose this, uh, this poison pill uh, response. So who knows what will happen with that, where it will go. But I just, I am so tickled watching this whole thing go down because it's not as though I really care. You know, the main thing that I use Twitter for, to be honest, is keeping up with baseball information because I am a baseball nerd, as you know, and not just, you know, transactions, but you know, game highlights and and breakdowns and, and statistics for umpires and how they've scored uh, or score calling games and so on the day after I, I the nerd in me finds that fascinating and that's the main thing that I use Twitter Twitter for so I mean it take it or leave it I don't really care but it, it has certainly become a bit of a sort of left-wing political vacuum in recent years and it's something that um, has caused a bit of a troubling trend around the country for all social media not simply Twitter and that, as you know, is the sort of uh, politicization of, of speech and the, 
um, regula regulation of speech on behalf of these large uh, tech companies, which is, of course, a, a big problem. And in his attempt to buy Twitter, um, Elon seems to find it necessary to sort of right that wrong and to get things back on track. It, Elon Musk, as I understand it, is no political conservative. He's no uh, Republican. He just is someone who does not think that the the direction of social media companies and Twitter in particular is constructive and, and that a lot needs to, to be changed. He's finding it very troubling that so many uh, accounts on sort of one side of the political spectrum have been attacked while others have been allowed to to flourish and go unabated. And he finds that troubling because as he defines it, and I, I thought it was a, a very salient point, he says that free speech is when, quote, someone you don't like is allowed to say something you don't like. I mean, that's a very pragmatic <laughs> definition, I think. I, I mean, it's very hard to disagree with that, right? Free speech being that you allow someone you don't like to say something you don't like, right? And that's kind of what has made our country uh, flourishing and great over the past you know, 200 years or so. And that is the, it, regardless of how we feel about someone personally or politically, we allow them to say and do what they want, right, without you know, political repercussions and things that you see in other countries and banana republics and so on. And so that's kind of his his perspective where he's coming from as he makes the bid to buy Twitter. Um, but I just, again, I find it just hysterical watching the meltdown and the tantrums from the, from the political left <laughs> when they see something not go their way. I mean, heaven forbid, can you imagine if... If they are were treated in the way that the political right is treated on social media, I mean, the the fact that just the mere implication that things could not go their way, they absolutely have a meltdown saying, "If Elon buys Twitter, I'm deleting my account," and blah 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 blah. And I'm thinking, yeah, you promise? <laughs> is that some kind of weird threat? Is that supposed to deter me <laughs> to say no? No, Elon, please, please don't buy Twitter because this this uh, left wing nut job is going to delete their account if you do. Please, oh, please don't. I just again, I, I find it so stinking funny, and it just kind of makes me just wonder. You know, the nihilist in me wonders, you know, why are, why are they so afraid of? What are they so afraid of? Thinking that somebody that they disagree with can say stuff, even if it's one hundred percent erroneous, one hundred percent misinformation, or so on. The fact that they find themselves sort of this self-appointed purveyor of of all things true, I just I just don't understand. I mean, if you are you know, truly believe that what you are saying is truth and fact, why are you so so paranoid about other people saying something that's wrong? I mean, if you are correct, shouldn't you be secure knowing that what you're saying is in reality the truth? And somebody spewing something that's that's false really wouldn't sway you because you'd be like, yeah, say what you want. You're still going to be wrong, right? I'm, I'm right. I don't understand why they are so paranoid unless, again, the the nihilist in me just thinks that, uh, you know, they, they do it because you know, it's, it's essentially projection, basic projection that what they are fearful in people that they disagree with are things that they do themselves. So if they're worried about people they disagree with spreading misinformation, you can sure bet that they know deep down 
that they spew misinformation all the time. If they worry that it'll be used to sway elections, it's because they try to use it to sway elections all the time and on and on and on and on and on. So that's how you can understand what their motives are and where they're coming from. It starts to have this stuff make a little bit of sense. But as, as I said, you've had so many you know, people that have had their accounts uh, censored or banned even you know Alex Jones, you know that, that nutcase. I don't. I forget what his company is, but apparently they had to file for bankruptcy recently because of the the judgment that went against their way when when he tried to assert that Sandy Hook was a hoax. And so they, in the punitive damages, have forced his company to you know go bank file for bankruptcy which I say fine, but, you know, he hasn't been allowed to to be on Twitter for quite some time and wasn't from, as I understand, any kind of overt uh, violation. It's just that the powers that be the Twitter just didn't like him. And, you know, probably for good reason. The guy's, you know, a whack job. He says a lot of nonsense, but not good enough reason to have your account banned. Meanwhile, there are have been countless examples of other nut jobs on the opposite end of the spectrum, who have not only uh, been allowed to uh, stay and have their accounts go you know, unabated, but just spew nonsense on and on and on. And we'll get to one just egregious example here in a second, because our next item that I found very troubling and peculiar this past week, or there's these very two very somewhat high or would be high profile public shootings this past week. Both of which, miraculously, <laughs> by some stroke and of luck or hand of God, whatever it may be, have resulted in zero deaths, which is just, you know, we've seen this so many times. It's, it, it's surprising, almost shocking, when there aren't deaths from, from these types of shootings. And, and unfortunately, it seems to attract uh, or result in not a whole lot of interest when there are no uh, corpses in it in its wake of these sort of vile attacks, but but there's another uh, other similarity that that follows. Unfortunately, these two instances. Now the first one, there's a shooting in a New York subway, and it seems to be a very planned and coordinated attack. This guy had uh, smoke bombs and and uh, weapons on him, and he fired 33 rounds in a New York subway. And it ended up wounding 29 people, 10 of whom were shot. And like, and like I said, by some miracle and some almost in fluke, none of them died, at least up to this point. None of them have died. And it just, again, just boggles the mind that just by some fluke or trampling or what have you, no one died in that, which is nothing short of a miracle. But the, the nut job who who did this was um, a man by the name of what was his name Robert something, um, but he he's this five foot five, fifty two year old guy, and when you see pictures of him, he just it's very unspectacular. He just looks like a dude, it, it, which almost makes this thing that much much creepier because you, if you were to see this guy out in public or on a subway you wouldn't think twice. He just looks like a dude. He looks like a dad or just some guy going about his business. You wouldn't think twice and wouldn't feel in danger whatsoever. But this guy, as it turns out, had some very troubling opinions and much of which he was spewing 
online and he was allowed to do it on on youtube on twitter and so on this guy was a very militant black nationalist he posted a lot of very vile and troubling things um, that uh advocated for violence against white people, violence against women, black women in particular, and it was just disgusting things. And he was apparently investigated and known by the FBI for quite some time. And like I said, he was allowed to, to do this unabated. His, all of his, his YouTube channel was never taken down, was never challenged. His social media was never taken down, never challenged. And I just, it again, but based on what we've seen from nut jobs like Alex Jones and the fact that someone like this wasn't, it's just, it makes you raise an eyebrow, uh, to be sure. Now, other than one other clear similarity, he has a very troubling similarity from my perspective from Daryl Brooks, if you remember, was the was that uh, piece of garbage that rammed through the parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and you know, killed and injured so many there. And one troubling similarity that they both had is they're both from Milwaukee, which, ew. If, if you live where I am, you, you are no fan of Wisconsin. You're no fan of Milwaukee. And uh, it, it, it makes you wonder, what in the world are they doing up in Milwaukee that produces such, such evil? Now, the next instance was a, another shooting in a South Carolina mall. In this case, there were 14 that were injured, and it seems to have been an incident that started from an argument, whether it was a, a boyfriend, an ex-boyfriend, or what have you. And uh, this woman by the name of G. Wayne Price dislodged her weapon and, and shot and injured 14. Again, by some miracle, some fluke, none of them have died to this point which that in the same week as the new york subway shootings i just i'm grateful that no one died and it just seems impossible but unfortunately what seems to happen is again there's much less interest in a shooting like this where there are no fatalities but ms price um she was fortunate enough to have her bond set at twenty five thousand dollars and has been allowed to return to work with an ankle monitor Again, this is someone who shot and injured 14 people at a mall, and just as you were, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse, who was acquitted of his charges. I mean, he was in in prison in, with a, a sky high uh, bail for months on end. Um, but here you go, for whatever reason, it's you know, as you were. It's just it, it's just a very clear indictment that I've seen with just two very, very exa egregious examples from the press and from the media and from our culture to ignore these types of high-profile incidents. One, where there are no fatalities, and two, is when the perpetrator does not come from a desired demographic, we shall say. Because um, if if these two people had been, say, Caucasian, you can you can bet anything, even if there are no fatalities. But if the victims were uh, minorities, that it would be trotted out there as an example of white supremacy and so on. I mean, even you know, black on Asian crimes are still are reported as examples of white supremacy. But in in this culture, it just gets ignored. Which makes you wonder, 
why is the media so unwilling to report on these types of violent acts? I mean, are they afraid? I mean, are they just infantilizing African-Americans? I mean, why do they feel the need to not treat them equally as they would other people who commit such acts? Now, if you remember, Dylan Roof, I believe his name was, in South Carolina, uh, he was the piece of garbage that went in and shot and killed several people in a South Carolina church. And uh, apparently, in in no small measure, because of some white supremacist leanings, he was found guilty of murder and hopefully will be put to death because he deserves every bit of that. And the media was all over that one. And, you know, to be honest, rightfully so. I mean, it was a a shocking and heartbreaking crime. He shot and killed and hurt a lot of good, innocent people for no reason. And if it were any racial animus, even that much worse. And they reported on it like crazy. But here, this... Uh, middle-aged man in the subway in New York who is puts himself out into the public eye as a black nationalist and, and rails against women and Caucasians and acts on it, and you barely hear a peep? I mean, I, I, just, I just find that so condescending and infantilizing. And, and to be honest racist on behalf of the media that they ignore these types of acts simply because of someone's skin color i mean it's just it's gross and it's icky um and and i I just i don't get it you know i i I thought of that when i was watching the most recent episode of winning time which we talked about here a couple weeks ago that's the the show on hbo max detailing the rise of the 1980s lakers which is of course right in my gen x wheelhouse but in the most recent episode, they showed for the first time uh, Larry Bird and the beginnings of that rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson at the NBA level. And they highlighted the, a, the first matchup between the two in the Boston Garden during the 1975-1980 season. And they highlighted the animosity that the Lakers uh, experienced as they go to play the Celtics in the Boston Garden, and they detail the very unique nature of the fan hatred from uh, the Boston Celtics fans, and that in, in particular in 1979 and 1980, as you can well imagine, with a team, this flashy West Coast team from LA in, in the Lakers, contained quite a bit of uh, racial animus on behalf of the Boston faithful. And that's just how it was. Now, I at the time, to be honest, I disliked both teams. <laughs> and I kind of still do. I know I didn't like the Lakers. I didn't like the Celtics. And I remember when they met so often in the finals, I would root against them both, right? I mean, I would turn on the, the game hoping that both teams would lose. So I was not on either side of those. But I but I do love watching the highlights of, of those uh those glory days, because that's what I grew up on as far as the NBA is concerned. But it, it highlighted the the experiences that, that the, the, Lake, the Los Angeles Lakers experienced and the racial hatred that they experienced and had to, had to play through. So it happens all the time, you know, the, unfairly, all the time. 
and even in ways that you may wouldn't necessarily expect, right? You you wouldn't expect that a sports team playing a game would have that sort of racist vitriol hurled at them, but it did and probably still does it in certain times. But I kind of see some stark similarities between that animus and what the press does in reporting on such stories that they are unwilling to report on and cover certain details. I find it troubling, infantilizing, and yes, quite a bit racist. Now, the next thing that I find very, very troubling, and we talked about a little bit about last week, and I cannot believe for the life of me that more people are not outraged, and that is what continues to happen in Shanghai, China. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, the worldwide community was outraged when Vladimir Putin invade, invaded the Ukraine. And we have seen in our country Ukrainian flags that have been flown in support of the Ukrainian people and the nightmare that they're going through. And people are just outraged at the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And they want to do anything they can to support them. They want to enter a war to support them. And here you have a case in Shanghai, China, where the government is forcing people to stay in their homes. And again, this is a metro area of about 26.7 million people. It is massive. And they are forcing people to stay in their homes. They can't work. They can't shop. They can't get food. And they are well past the time when they were told that they would have to. I think they were at one point told that they would have to be in their homes until... April 5th or April 7th, they're still freaking there. And you see these heartbreaking videos of people who have just had enough. They're at their wits end. They're wailing and screaming into the night. You have people who are being rounded up, taken to quarantine camps. And if even if they have tested positive or they've been around someone who's tested positive, then their whole family are rounded up into camps. Then you've seen these just despicable videos of government officials standing around their pets once they've tested positive and they like these dogs they're just wailing on these dogs with sticks until they die you have bags of cats <laughs> these these household pets these cats are in bags and they're moving around and wailing and they're just waiting to be put down because their owners tested positive I mean, remember, this is the regime who, aside from creating this virus, reported zero COVID cases from like February 20th until a couple weeks ago. Well, of course, we know they're lying. They're full of crap. I mean, it's a lying communist regime. You wouldn't expect anything else. But what I want to know is why is nobody outraged? Why do you have to hunt and peck to find the stories of what these people in Shanghai are experiencing. Why is your TV flooded with stories about Ukraine and no one is talking about Shanghai? I don't understand. Where's LeBron James? Where's Steve Kerr? Where's John Cena? Where's BlackRock? Where's all these people who make millions off of the Chinese regime? Where are they on this? 
you would think if you're taking money from somebody and you find out that they're rounding people up and killing them and starving them to death, and you've even seen videos, even the the most gut-wrenching, where the people who are wailing into the night start jumping out of their of their high rises and are choosing to commit suicide over and over. It's not just a one or two; it's one after another. Thud, 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 thud. It's heartbreaking. And no one seems to care. Everyone's all up in arms about Ukraine. But I don't see any watermarked uh, watermarks for Facebook profile photos to support those in Shanghai. You sure as heck see it about Ukraine. You don't see it about Shanghai. And I don't understand it. But, you know, Russia invades Ukraine. People throw up their arms. But you have Brittany Griner. WNBA player who was over in Russia. She tries to leave during the invasion. She was caught with a vape, a CBD vape pen on her, and now she's been in prison since then. You don't hear about it. Why? Why these overt humanitarian crises? Are they, they just pick and choose which ones that we ought to care about? I am so done letting them try to dictate to us what we ought to be outraged, and I'm going to decide that on my own. Okay, well, a lot of that was just, it, I, I'm so at the wits, my wits end with all that nonsense going on. I want to end on a little bit of a, a positive thing, so I'm going to play What Are You Streaming Again? A couple of things that I've touched base on the, the past week, which I've really enjoyed, and I think you might too. The first one is a limited series on NBC. It's called The Thing About Pam. And that is a trip. I highly encourage you to watch it. It's the story about a woman named Pam Hupp in Missouri. And she does some stuff that will make your head spin. And it's uh, it's kind of a dramatization. It's done by Renee Zellweger. I would fully expect when award season time comes around, whenever that is, that she will take home some hardware because she's fantastic. And what makes it all that much better is knowing that it's from a true story. <laughs> and they they mirror a lot of, if you're in Dateline and the murder porn that just is, you know, comes out of that show, it's the, they base it on a number of, of Dateline episodes that they did about uh, Pam Hop. And uh, it's just a trip. You'll, you will love Renee Zellweger in it. There's some other names that you will recognize in it. It's just as, as dark as that story is, it's, it's weirdly a lot of fun. So I highly suggest that you tune into that. The other one I suggest you tune into, it's actually a documentary for all of you dad nerds out there. And it is called World War II in Color, Road to Victory. There was another World War II in color maybe a year, year and a half ago that I got sucked into and it, I, it just fascinated me. And this one is it called Road to Victory and it has a number of different si- significant points in World War II that they really go in depth that I knew some about but not a lot about. Like Dunkirk, the invasion of Italy, the road to Berlin, uh, Iwo Jima. It's, it's just fascinating. Um, it, it, and you get just sucked into everything that that uh, determined the the final outcomes of that war, and there's just a kind of a weird relevant context for uh, 
things that we've been experiencing, experiencing the past 12 to 18 months. So I recommend it, even though that's something that is typically a dad thing. I, I think you will enjoy it. And if, if you're, you know, a Gen Xer like me who was raised by the silent generation who had, you know, parents who uh, were too young to fight in the war, but you had uncles and, and others who did, then, and you heard the stories when you were kids, it'll, it, it'll just, uh, It'll make you appreciate what they all experienced, and I recommend it. Again, it's a bit of an will will tickle the the your inner nerd, but it's a it's a fun trip. So, think about Pam on NBC, and I think it's on Peacock, Hulu, whatever, and World War Two on Netflix. It's good watching. So, with that, I will uh, see you next time. I hope you enjoy your week, and hopefully, things are starting to warm up where you are and uh, spring is is slow coming like normal and but hopefully it, it's uh it, it starts to turn a little bit because i for one have had enough of winter and it can just get off my lawn so i will see you next time and i will give a another unfortunate sad shout out to ms liz sheridan she was mrs seinfeld who passed away this past week it, just mere weeks from Mrs. Costanza, who also passed away recently. So, uh, Godspeed to you, ma'am. Thank you for all of the fun Seinfeld memories. And the rest of you, we will see you later. Or, you know, whatever. 